Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, How is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, How are these things possible? Jesus answered, You are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify, about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged, because they don't believe in the name of God's only Son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light, and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light, so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the sources of our doctrine in the United Methodist Church is the standard sermons of John Wesley. These are the sermons that he wrote and published to serve as the standard for preachers in the early Methodist movement. It so happens that John wrote a sermon on our lectionary passage today, specifically on the clause in verse 7 that reads, You must be born again. Therefore, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, and because I can't put it better than John did, what I've done for this morning is to revise John's sermon. To make the language more modern, 
so it's easier to listen to, and also to edit it for time so that you don't have to hear a 45-minute sermon. What was eventually published under the title The New Birth in 1760 was the culmination of two decades of thought about the nature and the need of being born again. So this is what John has to say to us. If any doctrines within Christianity may be properly termed fundamental, they are doubtless the doctrine of justification and that of the new birth. Justification relates to that great work which God does for us in forgiving our sins. The new birth relates to the great work which God does in us in renewing our fallen nature. In order of time, neither of these is before the other. In the moment we are justified by the grace of God, we are also born of the Spirit. How greatly important must it be, then, for everyone to thoroughly understand these fundamental doctrines? From a sincere desire of this, many have written about justification and the scriptures that speak of it. Many, likewise, have written on the new birth, some of them extensively, but without clarity, others with clarity, but without depth. Therefore, a full and at the same time a clear account of the new birth seems to be needed so that we may give a satisfactory answer to these three questions. First, why must we be born again? Secondly, what is the nature of the new birth? Thirdly, for what reason must we be born again? These questions, by the assistance of God, I shall briefly and plainly answer and then subjoin a few inferences which will naturally follow. First, why must we be born again? What is the foundation of this doctrine? The foundation of it lies in the scriptural account where we read, And God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. This was not barely in God's natural image, a picture of immortality, a spiritual being endued with understanding, freedom of will, and various affections, nor merely in God's political image, the governor of this lower world, having dominion over the fishes of the sea and over all the earth, but chiefly in the moral image, which is righteousness and true holiness. In this image of God, was humanity made. God is love. Accordingly, humans at the creation were full of love. Love was the sole principle of all their tempers, thoughts, words, and actions. God is full of justice, mercy, and truth. So was humanity as we came from the hands of our creator. God is spotless purity, and so humans were in the beginning pure from every sinful blot. Otherwise, God could not have pronounced them, as well as all the other works of his hands, very good. But although humans were made in the image of God, we were not made unchangeable. We were therefore created able to stand and yet liable to fall. God made humans aware of this and gave them a solemn warning against it. 
Nevertheless, humans ate of the tree from which they had been commanded not to eat. By this willful act of disobedience to the Creator, this flat rebellion against the Sovereign, humans openly declared that they would no longer have God to rule over them. Now God had told them before, In the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And the word of the Lord cannot be broken. Accordingly, in that day, they did die. They died to God, the most dreadful of all deaths. They lost the life of God. The body dies when it is separated from the soul, the soul when it is separated from God. So they had lost both the knowledge and the love of God, without which the image of God could not subsist. Therefore, they were deprived and became unholy as well as unhappy. The natural consequence of this is that everyone comes into a world that is deprived of the knowledge and the love of God. Each of us now bears the mark of living in a sinful world, missing the life of God, the image of God within us, distorted. We are consumed by the desires of our physical senses rather than by our spiritual desire to know God. This, then, is the foundation of the new birth, the entire corruption of our nature. Hence it is that being born in sin, we must be born again. Hence, everyone that is born must be born of the Spirit of God. But how must a person be born again? What is the nature of the new birth? This is the second question. And it is a question of the highest concern that requires us to examine it with all possible care and to ponder it in our hearts till we fully understand this important point and clearly see how we are to be born again. Not that we are expected to have any detailed philosophical account of the way in which this is done. Our Lord sufficiently guards us against any such expectation when he reminds Nicodemus, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You may be as absolutely assured of the fact of the new birth as of the blowing of the wind, but the precise manner of how it is done, how the Holy Spirit works this in the soul, neither Nicodemus nor the wisest among us is able to explain. However, we can give a plain scriptural account of the nature of the new birth. The expression being born again was not first used by our Lord in his conversation with Nicodemus. It was well known before that time and was common use among the Jewish people when our Savior appeared among them. This expression, therefore, which Nicodemus, being a teacher in Israel, ought to have understood well, our Lord uses in conversing with him, only in a stronger sense than he was used to. And this might be the reason of his asking, how can these things be? They cannot be literally. A person cannot, cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born, but they may spiritually 
a person may be born from above, born of God, born of the Spirit, in a manner which bears a very near analogy to the natural birth. Before a child is born into the world, they have eyes, but see not, have ears, but do not hear. They have no knowledge of any of the things of the world. To that manner of existence which they then have, we do not even give the name of life. It is then only when a person is born that we say they begin to live. For as soon as they are born, they begin to see the light. Their ears are then opened and they hear the sounds which strike upon them. They likewise breathe and live in a manner wholly different from what they did before. How exactly does the parallel hold in all these instances? While a person is in a mere natural state, before they are born of God, they have, in a spiritual sense, eyes and do not see. They have ears, but hear not. They are utterly deaf to what they are most of all concerned to hear. Their other spiritual senses are all locked up. They are in the same condition as if they didn't have them. Hence, they have no knowledge of God, no interaction with God. They are not at all acquainted with God. But as soon as they are born of God, there is a total change in all these particulars. The eyes of their understanding are opened. They see the light of God's glorious love in the face of Jesus Christ. Their ears being opened, they are now capable of hearing the inward voice of God, saying, Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. This is what God speaks to their heart, although perhaps not in these very words. They are now ready to hear whatsoever God is pleased from time to time to reveal to them. To use the language of our church, they feel in their heart the mighty working of the Spirit of God. They many times feel such a joy in God as is unspeakable and full of glory. They feel the love of God shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Ghost. And all their spiritual senses are then exercised to discern spiritual good and evil. And now they may be properly said to live. God having quickened them by the Spirit, they are alive to God through Jesus Christ. God is continually breathing upon the soul, and the soul is breathing unto God. Grace is descending into the heart, and prayer and praise ascending to heaven. And by this interaction between God and person, this fellowship with the Father and the Son, as by a kind of spiritual respiration, the life of God in the soul is sustained, and the child of God grows up till they come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. From this, the nature of the new birth appears. It is that great change which God works in the soul when he brings it into life, when he raises it from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. It is the change wrought in the whole soul by the Almighty Spirit of God when it is created anew in Christ Jesus. 
when it is renewed after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness. When the love of the world is changed into the love of God, pride into humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, malice, into a sincere, tender, unbiased love for all mankind. In a word, it is that change whereby the earthly, sensual, devilish mind is turned into the mind which was in Christ Jesus. This is the nature of the new birth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's not difficult for any who has considered these things to see the necessity of the new birth. And to answer the third question, for what reason is it necessary that we should be born again? First, in order to holiness. For what is holiness according to the oracles of God? Not a bare external religion, a round of outward duties. No, gospel holiness is no less than the image of God stamped upon the heart. It is no other than the whole mind which was in Christ Jesus. It consists of all heavenly affections and tempers mingled together in one. It, it, it implies such a continual, thankful love to him who has not withheld from us his son, his only son, so that it is natural and necessary for us to love every child of humanity. It is such a love of God as teaches us to be blameless in all manner of conversation, as enables us to present our souls and bodies, all we are and all we have, all our thoughts, words, and actions, a continual sacrifice to God, acceptable through Jesus Christ. Now this holiness can have no existence till we are renewed in the image of our mind. It cannot commence in the soul till that change be wrought, till by the power of the highest overshadowing us, we are brought from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. That is, till we are born again, which therefore is absolutely necessary in order to holiness. But without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Therefore, the new birth is absolutely necessary in order to eternal salvation. People may indeed deceive themselves that they may live their lives in sin till they come to the last gasp, and yet afterwards live with God. And many do really believe that they have found a broad way which leads not to destruction especially if they go to church often. One of these will ask with confidence, shall I not do as well as my neighbors? Yes, as well as your unholy neighbors, as well as your neighbors that die in their sins. For you will all drop into the pit together, into the nethermost hell. You will all lie together in the lake of fire, the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Then at length you will see, but God grant you may see it before, 
the necessity of holiness in order to glory, and consequently of the new birth, since none can be holy except they be born again. For the same reason, except they be born again, none can be happy even in this world. For it is not possible in the nature of things that a person should be happy who is not holy. Even the poor ungodly poet could tell us Nemo Malus Felix, no wicked man is happy. The reason is plain, all unholy tempers are uneasy tempers. Not only malice, hatred, envy, jealousy, revenge, create a present hell in the breast, but even the softer passions, if not kept within due bounds, give a thousand times more pain than pleasure. Even hope, when deferred, and how often must this be the case, makes the heart sick. And every desire which is not according to the will of God is liable to pierce us through with many sorrows. And all those general sources of sin, pride, self-will, and idolatry are in the same portion as they prevail general sources of misery. Therefore, as long as these reign in any soul, happiness has no place there. But they must reign till the bent of our nature is changed, that is, till we are born again. Consequently, the new birth is absolutely necessary in order to happiness in this world, as well as in the world to come. Now, even though this is only about two-thirds of the way through what John wrote, this seems as good a place as any to wrap up his sermon. So let me just summarize what was left. Having answered these questions about the new birth, John goes on to deduce that the new birth and baptism are not the same thing and therefore do not occur simultaneously in every instance. Then he describes the differences between new birth and sanctification, writing that just as a child grows after their natural birth, so does the soul grow after its new birth. Finally, he muses on how nothing short of the new birth can secure a person's salvation. So when Jesus says, you must be born again, we may have some questions like Nicodemus. If we ask why we need to be born again, we know that we must be born again because we are born to a world of brokenness called sin that makes us dead to the love of God. If we ask what it means to be born again, we know that it means being brought into the life of God, to have our spiritual senses awakened so that we can walk in the ways of the Lord. If we ask what the point of being born again is, we know that it is the only way for us to be holy and happy. So may you be born again. And if you have already been born again, may your soul continue to grow in the ways of the Spirit. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God, who calls us from death to life, animate us with the life of your Spirit. Change our pride into humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, 
malice into a sincere, tender, unbiased love for all mankind. Amen.